hard work every day Not a lazy mom, got no time to play Always on the go, you stuck on the flow But it's time for the show Hey everybody! <laughs> Y'all caught me like into my coffee It's one of those kind of mornings What's going on, Ali? How's it going over there? Can I tell you, I woke up this morning And in the 20 degree weather that it was I went for a five mile run I'm feeling good Highly suggest as like a little quick tip Run in the cold It feels so good that is that is true because it's like what I like about it is that when you get hot you're still like cool. Yes, <laughs> yes. I hate running in the summertime and then you start sweating and stuff. It's uh -huh. like a different type of you know energy. But no, that's a great tip and it probably like really woke you up and energized you and all that. Oh yeah, I'm I'm yeah. like ready to go. Yep. Yes. Awesome. All right. Well, look, today's episode. I didn't even ask about you. I'm sorry. Uh, I mean, Chris over here, y'all just missed it. Chris just got on me before we started recording because I, I didn't let him speak. I cut him off, which I do all the time. So he should be used to that by now, no. but I'm sorry. It's all I apologize. Good. It's all good. I'm just thinking about running on the treadmill. I'm not going in that cold weather. <laughs> <laughs> Look, at, um, at some point I'm going to get better about not cutting him off. Cause I do that a lot. I mean, it's good. I mean, it's cool. No, it's not cool. No, no, it's cool. It's fine. Okay. I'm not, I'm not going to up or anything. You'll be all right. Here, I, I just cut Chris off now. Sorry, Chris. Um, <laughs> well, just take me off the podcast. We need to get moving. Let's go. No, sometimes he takes too long to make his point, And I just be like. Because <laughs> I'm getting cut off all the time. <laughs> oh, my God. But listen, today, I'm really excited about, I'm always excited about the episodes that we come with because they're, they, to me, always go outside of the scope of just parenthood. This can apply to whomever. A lot of our episodes can apply to whomever. But we're continuing our Generational Wealth series. And today we're discussing Estate Planning 101. So when it comes to generational wealth, most of us want to talk about how to make and keep your money. But we don't want to discuss what will happen with all that we worked for if we were to die, which all of us... We're going to die at some point, hopefully not today, but at some point it's going to happen. It's a tough conversation to have, but it's very necessary. So we're going to talk, we're going to talk about estate planning. And I just want people to really understand, do you realize that all of us have an estate? It's not just about wealth or being rich. It's about the fact that you are a person who owns things, whether it is, you know, jewelry or purses or a car, anything. You have an estate and you need to protect that. If something happens to you or if you're incapacitated to the point where you can't make decisions for yourself. So it's just an summation. It's basically just a summation of everything that you own or possess. So because this topic is so broad, it, it may actually require two parts, but we'll see. We're going to break it down to the basics and give you the overall foundation of what it is, what's required, what can, what can you do today to make sure your affairs are carried out properly, not only at death, but if something were to happen to you health-wise? And I'm excited because we have an expert in the field that is coming to talk to us. And I'm going to pop her on the screen right now. We have Martha. Hi. Hi, Martha. How are you all? We're good. doing good. Much better that you're here because we see Martha personally. She is our estate planner, and we see her annually. So it's not even just about having your estate plan, but it's also making sure that you update it, check in and make sure if things change, you need to see your estate planner. So thank you, Martha, so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about this conversation. 
Well, thank you all for having me. I, you know, I usually tell clients, I totally understand that I may not be what they really want to do that day. You know, having a conversation with me is not probably what they woke up going, yay, let's go talk about estate planning. Um, but it is so important. And that's really why I'm passionate about it, because I, I do feel like, you know, hopefully when I'm, uh, you know, spending my time here at work, I'm helping, you know, that there's something more to this than than just, uh, you know, plugging my hours in and, and doing a job. And and it's not only, you know, talking about the assets that we have. It's about our loved ones. You know, it's taking care of our, our spouse, our children, our parents. And so, you know, you know, taking the time just to sit down and think about these things. You know, the good thing and what I think is that you do it, you get it done, and then you can kind of move on with your life. You want to come back and check in, obviously, because life changes, you know, relationships change, assets change. But once you've done it the first time, I, my hope is, and, and you guys can hopefully attest to this, it's not so bad, right? After you get through that first time, then coming back and tweaking it is is really not so bad. So what is it, I guess, is your next question. You're like, what what is estate planning, right? That's, yeah. Before we before we get into it, and thank you, like, let me tell y'all, y'all are about to get so much knowledge today. Martha is the perfect person for this topic. She has been doing this for a very long time, and she is actually the principal in the law firm, Vaughn Fincher and Sotelo. And this law firm is dedicated to providing estate planning and estate administration services to families and their businesses in the Washington metropolitan area. So Martha assists clients with their estate planning and estate administration needs. And she's the lead estate administration attorney at her firm, where she handles a variety of complex estate administration issues. She's also a member of the Northern Virginia Estate Planning Council, the Fairfax County Bar Association, and the Virginia Bar Association. So she got, look, she got credit. <laughs> I am licensed. I am licensed in the state of Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. So yeah, wow. that's good, right? <laughs> How many years of school did all that take? So, uh, you know, I went straight through. I went undergrad to law school. And, and I will tell you that I didn't go to law school thinking that, you know, I was going to do estate planning. Um, for all those moms out there who were kind of worried about what their kids are going to do, you know, I went to law school because the job market was bad and I really didn't <laughs> know what else to do. And I took the LSATs and was kind of like, okay, let's just see. You know, people had said, why don't you consider this? And, and really just, kind of fell into it, you know, so wow. I'm very, very blessed um, because even getting into estate planning, uh, one of my partners, her name is Donna Fincher. Uh, Donna Fincher was um, working for our, an attorney, Pat Vaughn, who established our practice in the 70s. And um, Donna opened the door for me to come in when I, I kind of practiced for about five years and didn't still hadn't found my niche yet, you know, so um, as Amazingly, you know, my oldest daughter is now 24, and part of the decision to come into this practice again was made really more pragmatically. I was thinking about I wanted to try to have work-life balance, like probably everybody else on this podcast, yeah. and um, and felt like this practice would you know be suitable to that, and it has been. But it's opened up so many other doors, uh, like I said, like getting to help families, um, you know, working through a variety of issues. You know, every family has their own 
dynamic. And it, if it's not an asset issue that's complicated, like a business, then it might be, you know, a relationship issue or a special needs child. Wow. So, you know, so when we when we talk about estate planning, I think one of the nuances there is people get kind of frightened or, or turned or just concerned. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. You know, basically we're talking about just putting some legal documents into place that will help take care of you, help take care of you if you're living and you can't make decisions for yourself, help take care of your children if you pass away and you have minor children and, and you need, you know, um, someone to take care of them or take care of their property. Uh, I think kind of the difference with where I think about estate planning being different than say just going online and pulling up a will and plugging in, you know, what you think is going to work. Estate planning is more holistic. We're, we're not only just looking at those legal documents, we're kind of diving into the details. We're looking at what you own, how you own it, mm -hmm. meaning do you own assets, say, jointly with someone, or do you own assets that pass by a beneficiary designation? And, and the reason why we're, we're not just looking at the legal documents, while we're looking at, you know, all the assets and, and putting that whole big picture together is because I could draft the most beautiful documents for you. And, you know, in my world, that's beauty, right? Oh, this beautiful trust. Okay. But, but when the time came to use that document, if your assets don't line up with the plan that we've created, then your wishes aren't going to get fulfilled. So, you know, kind of an example of that is again, like with joint ownership, if I, I have two daughters, I have a husband, but I also have two daughters. Let's say I thought a great strategy would be to just go name my kids jointly on all of my assets. Well, you know, I could have just disinherited my husband Maybe that's not my intent. Or I could say, oh, well, I, I, I thought I would just name my daughter as a beneficiary on all these assets and she'll share with her sister. Right. You know, no, that's not going to happen. Wow. So when we talk about estate planning, again, it's not just putting legal documents in place. It's really diving down into the details and looking at all your assets and again, how they are titled is really critical. And so when I say titled again, what I'm talking about is, is it joint with right of survivorship? So if you had a bank account that was joint with right of survivorship with someone and you die, that means that that account will go automatically to that individual. Your will or your trust is not gonna control that asset. Similarly, if you had a beneficiary designation asset, if your asset names um, someone as a beneficiary, that controls where that account goes. And, and again, it could result in some, some surprises. Martha, wow. first off, I, I so everything you're saying, I'm like nodding because actually I unfortunately just had to deal with all of this. And two and a half years later, my dad's estate is finally done. Um, he unexpectedly passed and he had nothing plan. I mean, there, there was no estate there. there it, it was just, it was a cluster. It was a mess. We had to bring, you know, um, obviously like an estate lawyer um, involved right. and everything, but, but, you know, you, you said a couple of things that have really hit close to home. And for those listening, you know, it's, you're right. It's not about a lot of those tangible items about, it's about the people that you leave behind. And because everything was a mess, I will tell you, I'm, I'm still, 
two and a half years later, not speaking to his wife and their kids. Like we are estranged and it's really sad. Um, but it's because everything got so messy because nothing was organized ahead of time. That being said, I also, I also, you know, something else you said about, um, not to just, I didn't even know. I mean, that makes sense. You can just kind of make your will online and call it a day. Um, after my father passed, my husband and I met, met with someone to plan our estate, plan every single detail. And I highly encourage those listening to not to meet with somebody face to face, to guide them through everything, to talk them like Martha, how you're speaking right now and explaining stuff. It is uncomfortable and it's emotional and it's not something that you're right. You're excited to do for the day. But I will tell you, leaving that meeting, I did feel like a weight was lifted. It was something I didn't have to think about again. You know, as you said, you could make touch ups here and there, but it's really important to do for your loved ones. It really is. Yes, yeah, I know when Chris and I got married, that was the first thing we did. <laughs> we were like, okay, let's sit down and plan out everything because especially when you have so much going on in your time, but also in your assets and everything that's all laid out. Um, I had my own life insurance policy. Chris had his own. Those were things that we had to take into account. You know, are there family members who I would like to have you know, something for, because at the time we didn't have children. He has family. He has a mom and a dad the same way I do. We had to sit down and talk about that. And and I will be honest, it wasn't always a pleasant conversation between Chris and I, but it was necessary. We knew it was necessary. And we would meet with, with you, Martha, and you would give us some guidance and tell us like this, that, or the other, and you can work this out this way. You gave us so many different ways to structure that we were able to go home and say, we feel good about this. Right. So coming back, once we had Christopher, we had to then restructure again because now we have a child. So, and then when do we give this child all of this money? Do we just like pass away and both of us are gone and he just inherits all of this that he doesn't know how to manage? So we have restrictions as far as to, as far as what he's able to to touch at what age, and it's like distributed accordingly based off of what we think his maturity level would be, but also making sure that he has everything that he needs. Right. right. And Martha, you've definitely been a blessing to us because, you know, I didn't come from a background with a whole lot of wealth. So all of this was foreign to me. It was strange. And it was definitely something that I dreaded doing, but it's so necessary. So God forbid if something happened to me, I want to pass on everything to my wife and kids and make sure that they're fine. So right. it's a necessary deal that you have to get done. So, for everybody out there that hadn't taken this process or been through it yet, just bite the bullet, suck it up, go through it. It's not that bad. It really isn't that bad. It's not that bad. But, but, but you're so relieved, though, after you're done, knowing that they'll be fine and taken care of. Yeah, and the more I feel like the more assets you have, it's it's a longer process. And also with the businesses and everything else. And I will say, you got to think about it in terms of your loved ones. Like you, like Ali's, what you're going through, it would really suck for them to lose you, but then to lose you and then have to make all of these financial decisions or be hurt financially in some type of way, because sometimes that money can't be touched right away. Right. And you got to bury this person. You want to make sure that they have a nice home going service. If that's what you desire, that stuff costs money. Funerals are expensive. They yes. are very expensive. The yes. markup on funerals and everything you need as far as caskets, all of those things, 
is so ridiculously high and it's set up that way intentionally because you're mourning. So you're going to say, oh, yeah, give me that Mercedes looking casket. Give him all the flowers. <laughs> and you want to have this whole service looking amazing. Calla lilies cost a lot of money. I had to learn the hard way when we lost a friend of ours and we said that we were going to cover the funeral. We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. Yeah. So it's a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, I would, for your average funeral, just as, since we're on that topic, you know, what I see is you're looking probably about 20000 you know, just for uh, uh, what I would, I grew up in the South, so kind of your traditional funeral, though I'm not really seeing that level of um, service anymore. I mean, you know, you used to have the visitation and the funeral and, you know, maybe a reception after, uh, uh, you know, a lot of families are doing different things, even pre-COVID, but. Um, no, we we yeah. turned up after funerals. We turned up. It has to be an open bar and everybody has a good old time and, and, and people leave pretty much like they just left the club because we were in our mind. Yeah, so that you're, you're way over the top of my estimate there. So. <laughs> <laughs> open bar just killed that estimate. Exactly. It's like you, you, you want to feel like we always say it's a homegoing celebration. It's like we have to yeah. mentally trick ourselves and, and try to like look past the fact that we lost someone close to us and try to find some way to smile about it. And, and you know, people want to pour some out for the homies. They're wasting alcohol. <laughs> and alcohol costs money. And they're wasting it. And it's like they're thinking like, oh, this is going to make me feel better about the loss, you know, until the hangover happens. But it's true. It's, it, yeah. it goes on. Can I just... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, Monique, seriously, like because there was no estate when my dad passed and it was just on me to pay for the funeral, I was like, you guys, it's bring your own sandwiches. Like, we're just gonna like I am sorry. There is no booze. There is nothing. We're gonna stand here, pay our respects, like please. <laughs> it, it, it was just so expensive. And you're also, you know, going back to everything you're saying about planning the estate and leaving your loved ones. Your loved ones, when you go, whether it's expected or unexpected, they're not in the right headspace. Like they are grieving. They are going through this process of what is happening. So to to not be organized for them is just it's just not okay. It's well, it's it yeah. the grieving process. I mean that the one thing I really think, you know, with the estate planning is if you do the planning and then again you you've got the assets aligned and you leave behind, you know, you don't have to leave a detailed roadmap, but leave some breadcrumbs, right? You know, at least kind of like here are the assets that I owned. Um, you know, that it just helps the family through that process. You know, from from my perspective too, just on one point there is that when when we get the call that the death has occurred, you know, one of my kind of rules is I really don't want to see you for about 30 days, because if you come in to see me too quickly, you're not going to hear a word I say. You're going to be in an emotional space. It's it's just not it's like, you know, I'm going to be like, you know, the old um you know, Charlie, the teacher on the Charlie Brown cartoons, blah, 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 and you're going to be like, whatever. Um, so, you know, thinking about, okay, get through that first 30 days and then you start, you know, working with the lawyer. And if you get that lawyer, the information that they need up front, that's going to be able to allow them to give you much better advice. And to, and it's kind of like, you know, what we're doing in those meetings is, is we're sitting down and we are looking at everything in your financial life. And then we're going to strategize 
well, what are the next steps? You know, what do we have to do to get control over this asset? And so, um, you know, that goes back to where I was talking about earlier, classification of how your assets are titled. You know, is it joint? Is it in your sole name? If it's only in your name, that's where we get into the court process that we call probate. Every state has its own version of probate. So, you know, that's something, you know, I don't know, you know, who all is listening and where you're living, but if you, you know, if I live in Virginia, I practice in Virginia, Maryland, and DC, I can tell you about their probate process, but I don't know about what other states have, but I know they have one. And the basic concept is if that asset was only owned by you and you're not here, then legally we have kind of what I call a power vacuum. There's, there's no, if you're not here, there's no one who can, you know, write a check on that account. There's no one that can sign a, you know, a sales contract on the house. We have to go to court and get someone appointed who then has the legal authority who can take, you know, take uh, all those transactions uh, on, on, on their shoulders. In Virginia, we usually call that an executor. Maryland, you'll call it a personal rep, personal representative. It's all semantics. It's the same job. It's just, you know, kind of got a different title. But the the difference is, is when we're talking about probate, is the court is always going to be involved in that process. Again, it may look different state to state. Virginia actually has kind of one of the more what I consider onerous probate processes compared to Virginia, Maryland, DC. But uh, in any event, that, that court is gonna be a party to the, the settlement of your estate. So what we like to do if we're really working with clients on the estate planning process is say, hey, you know what, we think we can do this um, more efficiently and more streamlined and not have to go through the court process. And, and we do that using a trust. And so that's, you know, one of the estate planning concepts is, well, what do, how do we get assets to where we want them to go at death? And we just use a different legal tool. Instead of a traditional will, we use a legal document that's called a trust. And so that's, you know, if you're going in and talking to people about your estate planning, that's something you want to ask, you know, does a trust make sense in my situation. Uh, a lot of times it does. Um, it's, it's usually what I'm looking at when I'm advising a trust is, you know, complexity of assets. What, not only the dollar amount that you own, but like how many accounts do you have? How many businesses do you have? How many kids do you have? Because then the family dynamics come into place. Um, and, and a lot of times if, it, if it's more complex than, you know, having one kid and not having anybody to have anything to fight over, um, a trust is going to be a good alternative or a good part of the estate plan. It doesn't, um, it, it basically is what we usually call a will substitute. So again, we're using that trust to, to do the same job that a traditional will does, but we're using it because it allows us to not be under the supervision of a court to, to get all those things done. Before you go on, I want to ask you, so for the, the, the average person who works the nine to five every day, they may not have a business and they're fine with that. Um, maybe there's just a few things that they own. Maybe they have kids. Maybe they don't. What would you suggest they do for that type of situation? What would be the first step? Well, you know, um, so here's one 
one piece, I mean, the, the question is, do they really care what happens at death, right? I mean, I know we're talking about this, but, but you know, if you came in and said, the only thing I'm worried about is, is there anybody here to take care of me, right? If, if I'm disabled, then, you know, when I start the estate planning discussion, I, I do point out that a power of attorney and a medical directive, I think anybody, once you reach age 18, so for all those moms out there who have kids who are starting college or in college, um, early 20-somethings, you know, talking to your kid about getting a power of attorney and a medical directive in place, I think makes a lot of sense. But again, if, if I'm selfish and I don't care about, you know, what happens to anybody else, I should at least have a power of attorney to govern financial decision making and a medical directive so that someone can make medical decisions for me. That's what I think. Then we move to, okay, well, what happens at death? Do you care? Okay, I care. Well, you know, for kind of basic, simple planning, at least get a will in place because a will allows you to say who the person is that's going to be in control. If you don't have a will, it's going to be state law, again, which is going to vary by state. And in second marriage situations and so forth, it could be kind of a race to the courthouse. Who's going to get there first wow. to, to be in charge? And, and again, you, I can't advocate that for any family, right? So at least if you say, I don't want to do anything fancy, I just want a will. What does the will accomplish? It lets us put you know, your person in place, your choice gets to be in charge. It allows us to, to maybe avoid, you know, some, like Virginia has some rules that, you know, we can kind of wave out of that makes things simpler. Um, but when we start looking at, you know, what a, is, is there more that could be helpful? The criteria on that is like, again, do you have minor children? If you have minor children and you want to do planning for them so that the assets are managed, you know, so that they don't just wake up at age 18 and inherit everything that you own, then a trust is a, is a useful tool for that. If you have a special needs child, you know, that's a whole nother layer of planning for, you know, assets so that that child can be taken care of when you're no longer here. So that, that really kind of makes you think about a trust. Or, uh -huh, sorry, I want you to elaborate so that people understand why it's important to have a trust if you have minors or a special needs child in particular. Um, explain to the people how that will protect the child from having all of their money spent foolishly by who is the caretaker. I want you to elaborate on that because that's really important. So um, I, I should probably make clear that I am kind of using trust in, in uh, different context, okay? So when we look at planning for children, we wanna have, a, a, my recommendation is that, that you put assets basically aside so that they don't get immediate access to those assets. Mm -hmm. And that you have someone who's basically like serving as an apparent role, if you will, you're not here. So somebody's managing that money. So they go to that person, we'll call them a trustee, who then will say, okay, this is what, you know, we can spend, we can take care of your tuition, we can take care of your medical bills, we can basically take care of you just like, you know, we, your mom and dad would. And then we can say, okay, well, at certain ages, though, we, we're going to think you're old enough that you could have this money. And as parents, you know, the parents are going to decide based on their values and their, you know, their perspective, what the ages are that the child could actually then receive those assets. So like age 30, you could say, okay, age 30, 
this trust is done and and child you get everything Allie, i'm sorry was there something you wanted to say did i, did I, 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 you, I <laughs> oh no you didn't um i was waiting for you to be done but i i just moved my arm i um you can always adjust the trust just like you can always adjust a will right because right. you know i do have friends that have a trust they're now parents and they and they're like gosh i really wish you know my parents would adjusted and start us yeah. to have some yeah. at this point. So it's always, nothing is ever set in stone, right? With everything. Right. right. As long as you have capacity, you're drafting those documents, you can amend or change anything um, as long as you're here and have capacity. One of the things I was um, trying to be maybe a little bit clearer on is that when I'm talking about avoiding probate, you know, taking a step back to what I was speaking of a few minutes ago, um, that's when we're talking about a revocable living trust. So that's the trust that serves as a, an alternative to a traditional will. The concept of, of holding assets in trust for a child, that language could be used either in a traditional will or in a trust. So you could, you could have the same language in a will that says, okay, if I die, executor distribute my assets to a trust for my child. Mm -hmm. that's, an, that's a strategy that a lot of attorneys use. It's not one I recommend because here in Virginia, that trust, because it's created as a part of a will, is always going to be under court supervision. Court's going to always have its fingers in that pot. If I create a trust for children using the, tr the revocable living trust, then that stays private. It stays out of court control. Um, but again, the, the, the language, if you looked in either one of those documents, it's going to look almost identical. It's going to say, you know, here's a trustee. Trustee, your job is to manage this money for this child. You could make distributions for the child, you know, to, to take care of them. And then trustee, when the child you know reaches those benchmarks, here's the money, you know, and you can turn it over to the child. Right. So basically, so in using this Chris and I as an example, if something were to happen to the both of us, we have three kids and a parent that need to be taken care of. And I want to make sure that if I designate someone as the power of attorney or the uh the guardian or trustee or of my kids. I want to make sure that they not run around here buying up different cars and, and Gucci and, and purses and talk about, oh, yeah, they need this. So basically having a way to make sure that the money's being spent properly and that my kids ain't walking around here looking crazy. You know, why they over here living the high life. <laughs> and you bring up a really important point, Monique, because there's, you know, again, talking about the different roles, you know, so the trustee can manage the money. You could have a different person, a different individual be the guardian of the child, meaning that they're the ones where the child lives and they're handling, you know, the day to day life of the child. But the money's controlled by someone else so that there's checks and balances. Um, so, you know. They have companies that do yeah, I, I was about to say the way ours is set up, we actually have our advising company that, that manages our investment portfolio. They mm -hmm. are the company listed that will control the money. So right. whoever, God forbid, if something happens to me and Chris, whoever is the guardian of our kids, they're not touching that bread. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they got to go through the bank and they got to show and prove 
that they're using yeah. this money for this reason. And then if me and Chris just decide to give them a little extra spending money and have that to the side for that guardian, just as a thank you for watching over our kids, we got the houses covered. The mortgages are probably more likely paid off, you know, no car notes. So here's for, you know, electricity and all of that and food and whatever our kid needs is what they would be able to, to spend. Right. Right. Okay. So, you know, the, the one thing, um, when couples divorce, you know, so a lot of times um, a spouse, uh, the, 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 let's say the mother of the child wants to come in and say, I don't want the father of the child to be the guardian. And, and that's a hard discussion. Just, you know, just thinking that through is, I mean, your natural rights as a parent aren't going to be, uh, terminated unless a court terminates them. So so even if you're the spouse that has, you know, the full custody of the child while you're living and you pass away, you know, that that other parent is going to step in and become and, and is now as the right, is the parent who has custody, right? So just that as you were talking about guardianship, that was just another thing I kind of wanted to point out is because a lot of times people who are when there's a divorce situation and, and one child one parent has you know physical custody um, they do need to think about well, what would happen if i died and if there was some reason that they wanted to document that they didn't think that parent should you know the surviving parent should be allowed to have custody i'm not saying that it would it would work, but they would want to make sure that they document that so that whoever, you know, their family member, whoever's concerned can let a judge know that maybe, you know, there's a concern there and, and the judge would take that into consideration. Let's say if grandma wanted a child and was trying to get custody, you know, they're going to have a hard battle because that, that parent has got the, the presumption there. So anyway, that was just something that's come up recently that when we were talking about guardianship, I thought I would just, you know, throw out there because, you know, a lot of people, you know, are in blended families and or are not, you know, the having, you know, split custody and, and so forth. So, yeah, since you brought up the point about just guardianship and marriage and divorce and all of those different things, can we talk about how, I mean, the laws, like you said, they vary in different states, but when it comes to being married and then you losing your spouse and you do not have your last will and testament or any there's no estate planning work that was ever pre-done right how can a spouse protect themselves from assuming that all assets automatically get transferred to them right so that's where you know going back to knowing what you have you know knowing what your assets are how they are titled are for the spouse, knowing what their spouse has and how those assets are titled, because it's not an automatic, you know, uh, right to a spouse. You know, every state again has different laws, and a lot of those laws were drafted at times when with very different presumptions of what a spouse should have. You know, when you you kind of go back to. I think, you know, 100 years ago, it was more focused on the children. It was only, I think, in the 1950s or so that spouses even started having greater rights. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just if you kind of look at the three jurisdictions here in Virginia, if if my husband died and he didn't have a will, this is our only marriage and it our, our children are born of our marriage. I get everything. 
But if he had a prior marriage and had kids from a prior marriage, then Virginia says, I have to split those assets with the, the, the children from the prior marriage. DC and Maryland have totally different rules. They, they don't even say it has to be a prior marriage. If I'm, if I lived in Maryland and, and my husband died without a will, I would be splitting assets with my children. So again, how do we get into that category of asset though? That means that's assets that are held in sole name alone. That's what the court's going to govern. Um, if, my husband had set up an account, you know, joint with my daughter and I didn't know about it. Um, you know, I might have some rights to claim that. I, that's where you really need to get into, you know, to see an attorney to understand there are protections that are given for spouses. But in Virginia, you have to you have to be proactive to to make sure you're right, you know, that you, you, you know what your rights are and that you, you exercise them. Um, did I answer that? Did I, is that? Oh yeah. Okay. And, and honestly, I, just to add on that from my experience, you know, my, my stepmother, she, um, it was obvious my, my dad's second marriage. He didn't have her listed anywhere for anything. She didn't get anything. Um, he left everything to my sister and I, and I mean, you know, Granted, even though we're not speaking, it's still um, it's really hard because she was used to a certain lifestyle. She wasn't working. She was. I mean, so imagine what that can do to someone who then was relying on someone, their their husband for so long and then was left with nothing. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It's just an, another reason to plan. Wow. You know, retirement accounts and life insurance are another two two assets we should talk about that. Yeah because they typically pass by beneficiary designation. So, you know, your first day on your job, you're, you're, they give you the forms, you got a 401k, you fill out the beneficiary designation, then you don't think about it ever again, right? right. Um, but that beneficiary designation is gonna control where that 401k account goes. So my older daughter, um, you know, a little mom brag here, she just, she passed her CPA exam last year. She's working at a firm. And, um, you know, one of the things they kind of give younger people to do in the accounting firms is they have to go in and audit employee 401k plans, right? So that, that was her summer job, right? Or her summer work project. So she's like, I'm looking at these things and and there's this form like this spouse had to consent for the employee to take out a loan on her retirement account. That's her money. What, you know, what the, what do you mean that spouse had to, you know, and I'm like, well, under the, the laws, the federal law that allow us to have retirement accounts, spouses are given rights and and you can't disinherit a spouse from your retirement account. They, they have to be the beneficiary unless the spouse signs a notarized consent form waiving that. So, you know, those are some things that um, can be surprising again, because, you know, my daughter, 24, this is, you know, what I mean? I'm a working mom. I mean, I'm a working person. This is my, this is my money. You know, what, what do you mean? My spouse would ever have a right to it. And you're like, well, that's what the law says. And that, and that, so again, there are some traps or like, you know, things like that, that a 24 year old, I don't think even the concept of, you know, a married couple, you know, the traditional 
she grew up in a kind of a non-traditional home. Obviously, we, my husband and I both work. So, you know, the concept of the spouse who doesn't work and needing assets, you know, gets, that's, I think, what the motivation was behind that law is that, you know, if you were the working spouse, you couldn't just, you know, disinherit, you know, the spouse who stayed at home. So. Wow. And um, also just talking about life insurance and um, thinking about if someone does pass away and they have a life insurance policy, um, having money right away to access while you're waiting for the death certificate, while you're trying to plan the funeral, all of those different things. I remember uh, you actually telling me for my business accounts, because the, my businesses are owned by me solely, but and I can't name Chris as an actual beneficiary. It's right. a different type of process. But can you speak to that and also speaking to personal accounts and making sure you have a beneficiary listed and how well, so, they can access the money? Yeah. So with um, so kind of going back to you know the way I would like to do a plan is I, I like to use that trust that I was talking about earlier, the revocable trust as to be to be the owner of most of those assets so that what happens is is you know thinking of the trust you know like a like a business when you die your successor trustee can come in and manage those assets that are in that trust so that that's the goal but if you don't have a plan like that those assets are going to be frozen until we get an executor qualified to then have the legal access to those assets. Now, life insurance though passes by beneficiary designation. So let's say your life insurance um, named Chris as the beneficiary. Chris could collect that policy and have immediate access to those funds. Or you could name your trust as a beneficiary and your trustee would collect it and then have use of the money. Um, so one of the things though, kind of just dialing back a little bit when you mentioned life insurance is I'm going to make a plug. I do not sell life insurance, mm -hmm. especially for you young couples that are out there. I, I do see fewer couples buying life insurance now, and I don't know if they just, you know, don't think it's worth it. Um, but these are the horror stories. You know, I have had um, some situations that I've seen, you know, where, you know, unfortunately uh, a husband died early in his thirties, had just changed jobs. Wow and was working like in an independent contractor job. A lot of people are doing that nowadays that didn't have benefits. He did not have insurance. And his wife had a two-year-old and was pregnant with their second child at the time. And they did, I mean, thankfully that the community responded. There was a huge GoFundMe. I, this was a few years ago. I didn't even have a clue what GoFundMe was then. I'm like, what is this? Um, but you know, you don't want to be relying on GoFundMe to take care of your family and, and life insurance, especially if you're young and you're in your 30s or whatever, it's cheap. Buy, you know, get term life insurance as much as you can. One of the mistakes I made when I was younger is, you know, I just got it for like 20 years. I wish I had gotten it for like 30 years because now that the kids are almost I was just thinking, let me just get my youngest through college. You know, it'd be nice to have had a little bit more longer for a longer period of time, you know, because once you get kids to college, you still have, you know, mortgage to pay and so forth. And, you know, health issues, you know, when you're 50s, you know, things start popping up that life insurance gets more expensive. So that's my plug on life insurance. Um, that Honestly, that is that is such a great um, quick tip is to get it. It is so inexpensive if you're if you're young and just do it. I mean, they came to our house and 
they basically did like a kind of a physical type that they asked a lot of questions, whatever it is, but it's just, it's so inexpensive. Just get it done. Yeah. I was 26 years old when uh, one of my best friends actually passed away. And that's when the light went off in my head, like, oh my God, I need to get life insurance. Um, at the time, I, me and my mom had a townhouse that we bought, that we bought together as an investment property. And I didn't, the thought of something happening to me and then my mom being strapped with that mortgage or anything like that, I was like, you know what? I need to get a life insurance policy and name some of my family members so that they're good if, if they're good financially if something happens to me. And I was 26 and my policy was like $5 a month and, it's, and I, I did a 40 year. So now I can, you know, probably kick off some of my family members and put my kids on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was so much cheaper back then. Um, and then you know that you're good for that set amount of time and you just keep right. making payments. So the younger you are, the look, I, I was telling people on our Wind Down Wednesday when this topic came up, I said, look, if you are 18, 19 years old and maybe you can't afford to pay the monthly Go to your parent and just say, hey, I want to be responsible and get this life insurance policy. God forbid something happens to me. Um, but can you make the payment? Because it's going to go back to you if something happens to me anyway. But it was me. And then maybe once you get a little bit, you know, into your career and you have the money, then you take the payments back over. But to have it at that young age, yeah. oh my goodness, yeah. yes. A lot of people don't realize that, but it's so cheap then. You yeah. might start doing it when you're like 55, 60. You're going to pay a whole lot of money. Heck yeah. Well, 55 sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one one thing, too, is because I, again, I have college-age kids, and thankfully we didn't have to do private loans. But with a lot of kids with private loans and, you know, going to grad school, medical school, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars of debt, Um you know, if I co-guaranteed a loan, let's say for a daughter to go to, to med school, um, the way I understand it, I mean, a lot of those loans are going to come looking for me for payment, you know, if she passed away before, you know, she could graduate and make the big bucks, right? And we could pay those loans off. So, oh, you know, again, that's just another thought of, you know, how life insurance could be really help, you know, beneficial to a family for younger people. Um, not only when you get married and have and you know, have kids. So. Awesome. Isn't it a good way to beat taxes as well? So, you know, life insurance is not going to have to pay any income tax. Some states like Virginia, it's also creditor protected. Mm -hmm. So your creditors can't, like so if you died and, and you didn't have enough assets to pay off your liabilities at death, that life insurance is protected. Mm -hmm. um, and it would also, um, you know, again, at the point, I think, I think it was Monique um, made about that it, it's ready cash. You know, again, you think about the death occurred, life is crazy, right? You, you don't know one end from the other. And you know, but you do know if you send in that death certificate, you fill in that claim form, you should receive that cash usually in about 30 days. I mean, it, it's usually very quick. Um, and so that that peace of mind uh, I think is is something that just can't be overlooked because then you can figure out everything else out, right? You get the cash, get that life insurance, take a deep breath, and then start, you know, working through, you know, all the other issues. Yeah. Right now, it's so important because I remember so many times throughout the years, you know, my family down south, somebody would pass away, and then everybody had to sit around and raise money 
for the next two or three weeks and try to figure out the funeral service and everything. So it's definitely good to go ahead and prepare and have that stuff lined up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Before we get out of here, I wanted to ask you, what are like now that we have all of this information, we have these documents, we have these policy numbers and all of that. What would you say is a great tip for keeping track of all of this <laughs> in a place where, you know, so for instance, if one of my beneficiaries is, you know, my sister, what right. is the best way for me to get that information to her so that I, don't, I may not want her to see it right now, <laughs> but know where to go and get it yes <laughs> no, i'm not taking a shot of my sister no, no, I'm just, no, no, no. <laughs> well, but that's normal i mean i you're it's a privacy you don't really want to share everything right now yeah, yeah you right. better trust that sister she might try to take you out early and get that <laughs> i don't want nobody i don't want nobody to see what's in the policy and then they put a hit out on me <laughs> no but no but how can i gather this information store it and then if something happens that person or persons, they know exactly who to call. They know the numbers. They know I need to go get this box that has all of this information and I don't have to search around for it. Yeah. You know, I wish I had the magic answer for that. You know, I tell the story of a client I had one time who told me every time she went away, she put her documents in her dryer. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and but, but I was like, well, I mean, that would not be my automatic place to go search for documents, but her kids knew. And so the message I take away from that was, was like, okay, wherever you decide is the best place is okay with me as long as it's reasonably safe. And the person who needs to go access those documents knows where they are. Um, you know, a lot of people nowadays are not using bank safe deposit box in terms of just physical storage of information, because I think, you know, they just get don't want to deal with the inconvenience that they'd rather have a safe in the house or some type of file box that has water fire protection. So I think having documents physically printed out, okay, here, I know I'm going to sound very generational when I say this, but sometimes you just need to have the paper. So, you know, having, you know, documents saved electronically, but also printed out statements at least once a year because what if they can't get into your laptop right you know if you're doing everything online you because you also need to have them that double safety measure of having the password somewhere that they can find yeah. and access that information so you know, in our office, uh, we also keep copies of, you know, the legal documents. I will keep copies of, you know, the financial information that clients provide me. So I think that's, you know, another resource. I know it's not going to be as current and up to date because, you know, I'm, I may not see you in a while, but at least that gives another uh, kind of repository for safekeeping. Um, and then, you know, finding your own organizational system within your family. You know, are you someone that just wants to use like an Excel spreadsheet to list all your assets and, and track, you know, as things change? Um, you know, that, again, I think it's more important that you're comfortable with whatever system you create and that your backup person, you know, understands you know, what your system is, um, as opposed to any, you know, stand, you know, any formalistic standard that I could, you know, tell you to follow. Yes. And my, my method of choice is a binder. 
Yeah, I believe in binders for everything. And I have a binder for every asset, like every category. So I have a binder for each home. I have a binder for, you know, auto, auto um, automobiles and jewelry and all of that. So and it has a running list of everything that you need to know. It's very organized. It even has all like for the homes. It has all, all of the, um, you know, the utilities who I'm paying on average, what the monthly bill is, the account number, like we have all of that set so that if something happens, even like for me, if something happens to me, then, you know, Chris needs to know how to get access to all of these different things. Um, other than that, he has uh, Leaf, our, our house manager. <laughs> so he'll be able to, you know, have her uh, look up things too. But just to have that information where it's printed out, I highly suggest that everybody needs to get a binder. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I really believe in paper. And I know that, again, everybody's trying to be paperless. I'm sorry, Chris, I just spoke. I always want to ask Monique if you have a binder for all of the hidden offshore accounts I got. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what I was going to tell you, Chris, and you guys have made, I may have said this to you because, you know, my jokes are pretty repetitive, but um, it's usually the spouse who has no clue what the financial assets are that is the surviving spouse. <laughs> the, the, the spouse who dies first is usually the one who knows everything. <laughs> That is funny. Oh man, it's not male female. It's 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 the it's the spouse who knows all the financial information. Mm -hmm. That is hilarious. But no, this was uh, an amazing episode. I know we ran over time, but I thought it was necessary just to keep the conversation going. But um, some of my takeaways, um, I recommend if people are going to have an estate planning attorney that they are going to see, I recommend scheduling that appointment close to the new year because it's easy to remember the last time you were there to see them. I kind of do the same thing even with my doctor appointments. I try to do everything around the new year. This way, if they're like, when was the last time you were here? Last year, this time. <laughs> like, you know, keep track of it. It's easier in your mind as you're busy from day to day. But um, the second would be get a binder, store that stuff, you know, in a document where you can see it, where you can have it readily Accessible. Make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like have it, have it together. Um, some other tips are, let's see. We said the ways to store everything. Ali, did you have any takeaways? Uh, just um, again, get that life insurance, um, and just have that face-to-face -face meeting. Don't just enter a will online. I highly encourage because of, as we said, how emotional, uncomfortable, you kind of want some hand-holding there. You kind of want things explained so you really can take the emotions out of it and understand the best way to handle everything if, you know, something was to happen. Yes. And then having just like, if you, if you have bank accounts, I highly recommend go to your bank your your bank and, and name someone as a beneficiary. It's really not that hard to do. So at least that's covered, you know? But do that and then meet with the lawyer and, and ha help have the lawyer help you make sure it, it all works together. And that's, you know, as far as lawyer goes, uh, lawyers go, you know, I do encourage you to look for lawyers that this is what they do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the attorneys who really spend the time drafting these documents, um, you know, attorneys who do it kind of on the side, they, they're they not going to have necessarily the experience to really give you the depth of, of you know, representation that you might need. So, yes, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. Having people that are in the field because you just want to make sure that they know the laws, they know when they're changing. I'm sure you spend a lot of time having to like 
learn whatever was updated, you know, and, and know. It's changing. Yeah. People think it doesn't change, but there's actually, there's always a little, you know, things that are moving and tweaking. So, you know. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because I remember there was something about a limit that you explained to us had changed and you were like, yeah, I might want to come in and change some of these numbers around because this changed or that changed. I can't remember what it was exactly, but but that's another example. It's like we had no idea. You were looking out for us and said, oh, so it's great. I definitely recommend if you if you can afford it, get an attorney. Like there's no sense in you reinventing the wheel. Get someone who knows the information. They have the knowledge and they're able to give you some sound advice based on your situation because we're all different. We're very unique. And I think that's the best way to go. So thank you so much, Martha. Good to see you guys. Yes. Yes. Nice to meet you. Um, Thank you. you. Awesome. So thank you all for listening. Um, Listen to this episode again and take notes. Seriously, because this is a whole wealth of information that you just got for free. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you all so much for for listening to our our episode. We're going to continue on doing these generational wealth um, type of episodes and have some more information for you as we're trying to get our money together in this new year. And also make sure y'all visit our store at notforlazymoms.com. Shop away so that I can, you know, pay off some of these bills. (laughs) (laughs) Until next week, we will see you soon and take care.